you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My Ruby Story. This week, we're doing something. It, it, Tom actually pointed out this is a little bit of a turning of the tables. I'm interviewing him. Um, we have Tom Parkin as our guest. Tom, do you want to say hello? Hello. Now, Tom, is, he interviewed me uh, quite a long time ago, and then he interviewed me again, and we posted that as an episode, episode 245 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. And uh, yeah, anyway, we've been going back through and inviting folks who have been involved in the podcast to come on and talk about their story. Now, Tom, do you want to just give us a brief introduction, who you are, what you do, where you work? Yes, I guess. Uh, Happy New Year first. I think probably oh, yeah. for uh, for archival purposes, we should note that today is the first day of 2018. Yep, the so, world didn't uh, explode. Yay! Yay. Yeah. Well, that was 18 years ago. We were worried about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am probably one of the oldest people you'll ever interview, um, but I do have a long history. And as I mentioned in preparation for this, probably my story is not typical. I'm hoping it's interesting. And I'm assuming if somebody's listening to this now, it was interesting enough for you to post. So yep. uh, I've spent a very long time in technology and software development, starting way back in the days before personal computers or the internet. So as an introduction, I'll, I'll stop there before I get off on a long, <laughs> long story. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, I just want to add a little bit of a personal note. It, it was fun doing those interviews. I don't, I don't really think of myself as that interview worthy or interesting, but it, you were yeah. very interesting. If you recall, uh, <laughs> The the interview I did, which was for uh, Ruby Source, uh -huh. of all of the rogues that I was able to interview, yours turned out to be part. There was an awful lot of content there. Yeah, it was a two-parter. It was just, yeah, that's because I don't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, yeah. it was interesting enough for people to, uh, to listen to, so... Um, and that's something I wanted to say, you know, thinking about this, uh, you are a bit of a pioneer in the technology podcasting world. You've been doing the rogues thing for, I don't know exactly how many years, but it feels like there, there was Ryan Bates doing screencasts, but there wasn't a whole lot of actual like podcasting type stuff going on when you started. And now you've branched out into so many different podcasts. I've lost track, honestly. <laughs> yeah, we, we do a few of them over here. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff. Ruby Rogue started six and a half years ago as we record this. 
Uh, it was a long time ago. And uh, I, I was doing, I was doing another show before that about rails, and I was just interviewing people, and that all was all um, inspired by Greg Pollock. And so I think of him as the pioneer. Oh, that's funny because you remind me being here in Orlando area. Yeah, I joined the Orlando Ruby Users Group. Um, that was back in the days when Greg Pollock and Jason Seifer were doing their yep. uh, Java versus uh, Ruby yep. Rails Envy. videos. That was be- before. Well, that was the earliest. Yeah, before the company Rails Envy. Rails Envy before the uh-huh. uh, advent of Code School. Yep. Uh, I've. It's not as active as it used to be, but the the local Ruby users group used to meet at the um, at the offices for Code School. I think it changed a bit when uh, when that got sold off the plural site. Things kind of changed, yep. but we used to go there uh, downtown for for our uh, Ruby meetings. Yeah, so fun stuff. Yeah, Ruby Ruby is kind of hot here in in you know Central Florida is, is is known as one of the few or one of the many technology hubs in the country. And yeah, Ruby has been very hot. But a big part of that, you're right, a big part of the credit goes to to Greg Pollock, uh, Greg and Jason both. Uh, for the stuff that they did. I remember the early meetings too, the the Ruby meetings. That was when Ruby and Rails was kind of new to me. And it kind of felt strange to be among a whole bunch of other people that also had, you know, a similar background in Java saying, what is this strange new thing, you know, that has taken us, (laughs) taken us by surprise. Yeah. So. Yeah. Rails was a little more established when I got involved, but uh, still, yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting to look back and see where we were and where we've come from. Um, yes. well, rails, I, I think I'm, this is only anecdotal, but I'd say more than 90% of the people working with Ruby were, were introduced to it by rails. Oh, I mean, yeah. that was the gateway drug, so to speak. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. So, so, um, I do have a number of questions that I typically ask as part of this interview. So we'll just start at the first one. And that one is how did you get into programming? Yeah, like I said, I'm a really old man. So um, I I was born. I looked this up to find out what what kind of a stake I could put in the gra- ground. And actually, I was born the same year that IBM created or introduced the Fortran language. So my introduction to programming was actually doing mechanical computing devices as a child. I I used to take my erector set <laughs> and build little mechanical logic gates. But um, in the world of of electronic computing, my first um, computer was the Sinclair ZX81. Oh wow! And I, I, I actually I ordered a ZX80, and it was delayed because they were just transitioning to the newer, better ZX81. Uh-huh. Uh huh. At that time, I think the only other computer available for hobbyists was the Heathkit, and it was just too expensive for me. I think this is the days before like the TRS-80 and the Commodore. I mean, that's, that's very, very early. Uh, my first job as a programmer, believe it or not, was working in COBOL. I was hired by the Franklin Institute Research Laboratories in Philadelphia to, uh, to write stuff in COBOL. That was many years before the internet. And I'm sure many of your listeners, um, probably have been born after the the internet existed or were very, very young when the internet came along. So now you're making me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I think you have this similar background. We're writing stuff in C and machine language before, uh, remember the days of bulletin board systems of dial up on 300 baud modems. I remember dial up. I didn't get onto the bulletin boards much, but oh, I remember that. Yeah. So from there, I, well, when the internet came along, I had an account on, um, 
CompuServe. Then I had an account on Prodigy. And then I happened to be living in Sterling, Virginia, which is where AOL first appeared and eventually had their huge campus. So I was uh, I was one of the earlier customers for AOL. I remember when they had this huge promotion. We've reached 500,000 users, you know, and that was uh, <laughs> it was a big deal. I was I was part of that special group back in the days when they used to send out CDs, not DVDs. Yeah. They used to send out CDs in the mail constantly. I remember getting those. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was in high school. That's funny. Yes, yeah. that that's that feels. In many ways, that feels like such a long time ago, and in the technology realm, it is. But it really was just, a, well, I guess half a lifetime ago for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Um, I mean, you mentioned you know all this stuff and feeling old and how long ago all this feels. And we were, I was talking to my kids the other day, and um, they were they were saying something about what you know something that could have happened a long, long, long time ago. You know, like when Jesus was born, or the eighties. Like the eighties was. <laughs> Just slightly more recent. That's right. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I remember the 80s. I feel old now. Yes, yes, that's funny. And as you get older, that seems to occur more and more frequently. You just, oh, yeah. You, you just kind of get used to it, I guess. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, when the internet was young, I was actually working in the telecom industry, working on the um, – ATM frame relay switches that kind of made up the core of the internet uh-huh. during that big uh, telecom boom that then became a telecom bust. Right. Um, but my introduction to Ruby was actually um, a Ruby Comp here in Orlando. I, I tried to look it up. I think it was around 2007, maybe 2008. There was a Ruby Comp here in the Orlando area, and my youngest son Tim, who's also now he's a full-time self-employed developer, but he had introduced me. He said, hey, let's go to this conference together because there's this really cool new thing that they're doing known as Rails. <laughs> and that was kind of my introduction. <clears throat> and nice. as you know, Matt's kept his promise because it, uh, it just it, it was just I love it. You know, mm-hmm. once you touch it, you love it. You can't get away from it. Ruby is great. Yeah. Developer happiness, right? Developer happiness. That's exactly right. I, it, it, it's just inherent. So hats off again. Yep. To him, the guy's done an amazing thing for for the the development community. Yeah, absolutely, I completely agree. So I'm curious then. Um, so you find out about Ruby, and what do you change jobs? Do you start hacking away on something on your own? What what, what do you what do you do with Re, uh, Ruby and Rails? Oh, that's a good question that I hadn't given a lot of thought to. Uh, it was mostly yeah, hacking away, learning Rails. You know, there, that was a time when. Um, People were paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars to have a website created mm-hmm. for, you know, my church and for local community groups and for anybody that waved money at me and said, hey, I need your expertise. Yeah, building sites in Rails because um, I did have a full-time job doing something completely different. Like I said, right. at the time that was the telecom, when the telecom stuff collapsed, um, I uh, that was when I started working for a government contractor. So I was doing stuff that was technology related and had to do with programming, but not open source and not rails. Mm -hmm. But my most, like most of us, right. My, my all consuming hobby was doing stuff in open source. Um, and most of it was rails because I liked Ruby so much and rails made it so easy to create web related stuff. 
attended a lot of the conferences. Sinatra came along. Sinatra was a quick, easy go-to when you want to build a build a site. I do remember that um, I was very, very active on SitePoint during that time. Uh-huh. Uh, I was I was one of the advisors of the forums, and um, had done a lot of things related to Git, and also like you and I discussed earlier, I was writing articles for Ruby Source, which is actually you know one of the sister companies of right. SitePoint. Um, as a result of that, Pact Publishing came to me and asked me or approached me about a project to write a book. They called it a book. It actually is a two-hour video series, but um, on Git. So one of my proudest accomplishments is that I uh, that I wrote that that book called Mastering Git. I was very very fortunate that when it finally was released, it was about a year's worth of work. It was an mm-hmm. awful lot of work. Uh, but when it was finally released, Git 2.0 had just been released, which was long anticipated. Oh, nice! So um, it was kind of a, kind of a kismet that that, that you know. That con- so it helped with the popularity of uh, of my book called Mastering Git. So today, I think on Pact you can buy it for five dollars, and honestly, I still get some revenue from that. And when you spend five dollars on it, I truly think I get about eight or nine cents out of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it originally was selling for $98 or something, and I was getting a couple dollars on each one that sold. Right. So um, I'm quite proud of that. But I also wrote a lot of stuff for site. So to answer your question, ultimately, I spent a lot of time just kind of hacking with hobby stuff, and I was writing a lot. So, um, you know, I've always been very um, – I've always been skilled with the English language mm-hmm. and – interested and enjoy writing. So that was when I did the interviews with many of the rogues, the couple interviews with you. I wrote articles for SitePoint and Ruby Source. Again, SitePoint approached me. They were putting together a Git cheat sheet just recently. This is about a year ago, I guess. Uh-huh. They were putting together a Git cheat sheet and they apparently had some struggles with it and came to me and said, hey, would you take this on and kind of finish it up for us? So um, it's another notch on my belt is there is a cheat sheet that you get when you subscribe to SitePoint that has my name on it that I, I did most of the work on. Nice. So, uh, you're famous. Yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, we all want our 10, <laughs> 10 minutes of fame. Yeah, there you <laughs> you're go. You're more famous than anybody else has. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I still go to Walmart and get funny looks, so <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't feel that special. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, so um, the, the questions that I usually ask are, you know, how did you get into Ruby, which you, you talked about? And also, you know, what have you done with Ruby or what have you done in the open source community that you're most proud of? And I think we've kind of hit that, too, unless there's kinda anything else that. you want to bring up. Yeah. Well, there's one other thing that um, that I did recently that I'm kind of proud of. I'd like to brag a little bit. Oh, is, go ahead. Um, I, for a short stint, <clears throat> I did have a job working 100 percent remote on a um, Rails project. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, uh, it was um, probably the w- country's largest nonprofit, Christian nonprofit organization. I was writing, working on the uh, the Rails backend for their um, online publication platform. And as a result, I really, really spent every single day writing Rails code, which I loved, mm-hmm. test-driven development. But it forced me also to really sharpen my Vim skills. So, you know, Vim is, is one of those one of those discussions. Um, what is it? Uh, 
nobody knows how to exit out of Vim. You know, there's all the jokes that go around. <laughs> but having having sort of mastered it, I felt an obligation to give that back to the community and help other people. I, I know a lot of people struggle like I did with being able to understand all of these odd commands and find your way through and how do you practice and get good at it when you're stumbling over simple, seemingly simple things. So I created a site called Vim Amin, and I think I sent you the link that you could yeah, post. You um, the pr principle behind Vim Amin is a minute a day of practice. So instead of the way I best learned when I finally sat down and tried to teach myself how to learn Vim was I'd take one command and I'd spend my entire day of my daily work using that one command as often as possible. Then the next day I was ready to take on another command. So what I did with Vimamin, which is written in Rails, um, is it forces you, uh, the way it's structured is you learn a command and then you are not permitted to advance to another level or another command until 24 hours has passed. Right. So it forces you to learn and use something for an entire day before you can come back and learn something new, <clears throat> excuse me, because we all have that tendency that yep. we're so anxious to learn. We want to learn all the new stuff all at once and start using it right away. And I found that by forcing yourself, pacing yourself, you could do a better job. I did at least. I did a better mm -hmm. job of mastering it and becoming uh, more skilled. So Bimamin is something else I'm particularly proud of that I did want to did want to shout out. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, I've been wanting to level up my uh, code editor school skills. I tend to use Emacs. It's funny because mm -hmm. I started using Vim and then I I wasn't that deep into it when I took a contract where they basically mandated Emacs. <laughs> well, there you go. Then you're forced to learn Emacs. So, yeah. so yeah, so that's kind of where I am now just because it's a tool that I'm better versed in. But yeah. yeah, and you know, the whole all the wars between Vim and Emacs, it's like Coke and Pepsi. You know, they yeah. they, they both do the same job. It's just which one you feel more comfortable with. Oh, I so, I just poke people in the eye because it's fun, and I let them know they can poke <laughs> me back. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's funny, but, but yeah. So, so that's awesome. Um, and I think I think there are a lot of different ways that you can apply a learning system like that. I mean, you know, a Ruby method a day, or uh, mm -hmm. I mean, true. you know, no, you, that's true. You you could you could do basically anything, and it's it's a small enough bite to where you can kind of get your head around it, and then at the same time. You know, you just work through and yeah, you, you get to the point right. where you use it. Yeah. A thing that I, I, well, I don't know if I coined this phrase. I don't want to be, um, <laughs> don't mean to be so um, arrogant to say it that way, but something that I use on the site is what I call deliberate practice. So the concept mm -hmm. is you have something new that you've learned. Now go out of your way to make sure you use it, you know, for an entire day so that it becomes part of your muscle memory. And that was, that was the key. You're right. It could yeah. be applied to lots of different things. Yeah, now that I thought about it. Maybe I have a maybe I have an opportunity for a franchise here. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, the other thing that I, I run into a lot because I've I've been more on the business side of podcasting over the last little while, and it's it's funny because there too. I mean, people read books all the time, and then they can't figure out why their business isn't going as well as they want. And it turns out they've already read the book that has the answer in it. They just uh, never applied it, right? And right, so you know, right. just just. <laughs> As you work through, you know, whatever it is you're trying to learn, you know, you take a step, um, you know, it's, sure. and it's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I learned to speak Italian fluently. Of course, a lot of that was living there and, you know, you kind of get thrown in the deep end, but, yeah. um, you know, when we were learning, I, I, we basically had eight weeks of language training and then they sent us out as missionaries. 
but uh, you know, I mean, that's that's essentially what you do. It's okay. Here's here's one concept, and you practice it for a few days, and then here's your next concept, and you practice it for a few days, and here's some vocabulary, and you practice it for a few days, and and it really is how a lot of people learn. I wouldn't. I, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that's how everybody learns, but that's how a lot of people learn. It's just one little thing at a time. If you try and pack it all in, then you're going to be frustrated when you forget some of it. No, you're absolutely right. And part of what I do in my day job now is training um, other software developers. And so you you hit on a good point. I'm very conscious of the fact that different people do learn differently. There are there are a handful. They're definable, but there's a handful of different learning styles that uh, people have based on their background and their experience. So you're absolutely right. They're, they're, it's not it's not a one size fits all, but it seems to be applicable pretty generally across humanity that if you do something repetitively, it helps you to, uh, to learn it or make it second nature. Yep. Absolutely. Of course, regarding business, what you said brings to mind, it's important, you know, good decisions come from experience and experience comes from poor decisions. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) There's a kind of a cycle there that we all have to accept, right? That's what learning is all about. You're trying to make me feel better, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm primed for some good decisions now. <laughs> well, that's right. There's certain statistics to it also, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's about time. Well, we have a new year. We're facing a new year here. Maybe maybe things will change. Yeah, there we go. So So uh, to answer your to anticipate your next question, um forgive me if I interrupted you to anticipate your next question. Currently, uh my time in open source has kind of slowed a bit and mm-hmm. um my full-time job now is working for a, a DOD contract for the Air Force. But what I'm doing is kind of interesting because I'm into the realm of cybersecurity and ethical hacking and all that other, you nice. know, and, and I'm learning. It's it's not something that I profess to be the expert, but I was hired um, for this purpose and I'm kind of learning some of the details. That's cool stuff. That is that is the next big wave and that's a lot of fun to, uh, to you know, there we all have that internal um, that internal, what I call hacker versus cracker that, mm-hmm. that need to explore and dissect things and understand how they work. I always tell the story. I remember as a child, I had a, I took a, uh, a wind up alarm clock. I took it completely apart, which was fascinating. All the little gears and things. Yep. I put it all back together again. It never worked again, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I learned a lot by taking it apart and trying to, you know, understand how, how it works and how to put it back together again. And to me, Software development has always been that. It's been that right. that that spirit of how does this work? Why does this work? How can I make it work differently? And so, when you approach cybersecurity, it's kind of taking that to the nth degree uh-huh. because you're trying to second guess, outsmart, and even uh, walk in the shoes of the, the bad that want to want to sneak in and steal stuff from you. So it's it's really been a lot of fun for me. Yep. Well, I, I did QA before I got into programming. And yeah, a lot of that stuff was, okay, I'm going to try a SQL injection or I'm going to try, you know, a a handful of these other attacks. And I'd go read up on the attacks and it would frustrate the developers to no end. You know, it'd be like, (laughs) yeah, did you know that I could do this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But we didn't have, we don't have to check every input. Come on. You're making our job harder. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, definitely fun and interesting stuff. And, and the cybersecurity is, is really an interesting realm. Um, and it's definitely growing. I mean, I think people kind of get it in their heads that these companies all know what they're doing. 
And uh, in the end, yeah. you know, they, they, they're hiring schmucks like me and, you know, <laughs> schmucks like you. And it, right, you know, right. so, so yeah. you know, we write our code and we kind of run it through its paces real quick and, oh, it works. And then we just move on. And, sure. you know, and then all of a sudden, well, you know, if, if you've had anything go through Experian in the last few years, you know, uh-huh. right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. And no, you're absolutely right. And when we're writing code too, we're under pressures yeah. to get it done. You know, I've always said there's the triangle, right? You can have it fast, right, or cheap. You only get two. Yep. So there's always those pressures of it's got to go out the door because we have, you know, we've made commitments uh, or it's got to be right, but we can't afford to pay what it takes to do it right. So there's always yep. that push and pull. So you're absolutely right. Yes. Yep. The fun thing, too, you brought to mind about cybersecurity is it's not strictly technical. You have to kind of think I don't want to over the overused phrase outside the box. but You have to kind of think my other almost all encompassing activity is board gaming. I'm really heavy oh, into board games. Oh, yeah. And in we could talk games, for hours about that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could. Yes, uh, we will sometime. We'll get together yeah. sometime and talk about that. But the point I'm trying to make is, you know, in many of the Euro games, you you have to apply the skill of being able to anticipate, but also think of things from multiple perspectives at once. And to me, the cybersecurity involves that because it's not just the technical of, like you said, SQL injection. There's also the whole social engineering, yep. phishing, spear phishing, whaling. There's all these other things that are really more people and psychology than they are technology. So to me, the cybersecurity is so much fun because it encompasses this whole big world of, you know, what life is, but its core is technology, which is exciting in and of itself. So yeah, I could go on for quite a long time about that too, but it's fun stuff. Yeah. It's neat stuff. I read the book ghost in the wires by Kevin Mitnick. And I've heard of it. I have not read it. He, so he talks about his experience being a cracker. You know, he started out doing, uh, you know, phone freaking and stuff and getting free long distance. But, you know, pretty soon he was, uh, you know, hacking into pretty, um, quote unquote, high security places. And Mm -hmm. yeah, more, more than half, well, more than half of what he did was just calling somebody, talking to them, getting enough information to call the next guy and talk to them, you know, and then all of a sudden he has enough information to get a password or to know when and where to be in a specific place to do a specific thing. And yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, we're all human and yep. yeah there are people that play i mean there are there are charlatans that play off of you know humanity too people that will take your money or pretend to yep. heal you or you know there's there's all these things that we're, we're all human and we all have the same uh the same sort of psychology so yes you're absolutely yep. right people can can take advantage of that i know it's old and it doesn't apply as much anymore but a fascinating book that i read multiple times is the cuckoo's egg which was like one of the first books ever written about hacking. And it's funny because if you're not familiar with it, it's written from the other perspective. It's a, an astronomer. This was in the seventies. I think uh-huh. an astronomer was idle and given this task. Oh, this computing machine that we have that takes up the third floor. There is an error with the accounting. It's go see if you can figure it out. But he accidentally stumbled into uh, this international espionage attempt to hack into Mitre Corporation. Oh, wow. It's just a fascinating story. And, you know, this was in the days of, of um, 
dot matrix printers and, and serial connections. And he had like multiple printers spread out across the floor tracking what was coming. It's just, it's an interesting story. If you get a chance to read it, um, Clifford Stahl, if I recall correctly, is the author's name, but it's called The Cuckoo's Egg. Very, very, cool. very interesting story related to that. So, um, so I guess to finish up answering your question, nowadays I do spend a lot of time on Stack Exchange answering questions, if I can, mostly related to Git, because that's another area. Besides feeling comfortable with Vim, I will never, ever be so arrogant to say I am an expert on Vim, because I don't think anybody can say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I am very, very skilled with Git and feel quite comfortable with Git, so I do try to answer questions. But that's about all I've been doing lately in uh, open source, so feel like I've maybe kind of retired. <laughs> yeah, well, nobody's so old that they can't come back. <laughs> That's true. Thank you yeah. very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, and you, you you don't you don't seem that old, so you, know, you kind no, of build yourself well, you know, that way, for, but you're yeah. I'm fortunate uh, you know, I still have all my hair and and very little of it is white, which is which is quite unusual. It's quite unusual at my age, but uh so I I can I can pass myself off as a little bit younger than I am, but I uh, I was old enough to recognize the significance of it when Kennedy was assassinated. I remember watching Neil Armstrong step on the moon. So, yeah, I just had a I just had a landmark birthday uh, the end of last year. I turned sixty years old. So, oh wow, that feels old to a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes yeah. feels old to me. You know what? I've made an observation. and I wrote a blog post on my personal blog about this too. The, in, the, in the 60 years I've lived on Earth, there have been definite changes in physics. I, I know gravity is getting stronger because it's more and more difficult for me to get up and, mm -hmm. and, and the, the scale is showing my weight as, as more. So definitely gravity has increased. Uh, there's a lot of things about physics, physics that have changed recently. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> Now you sound like my son is not my fault <laughs> that's right it's she made me do it anyway what? well um i'm <laughs> curious uh you know to kind of get us back on track uh, if people want to see what you're working on now or follow you on twitter or maybe you have a blog or something somewhere where do they go uh i do have a personal blog which is really like just my own you know i call it my own brain droppings um i think i awesome. gave you the link to that but it's wistful thinking.com. Uh -huh. And I think you have the link for that. Yeah. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I, I don't use social media like most people. So honestly, I have a Facebook account, but I keep it very private. It's just to keep in touch with my family and, and older friends. Um, I have a Twitter account and I use it. I've got a whole long story I'll tell you sometime about somebody who keeps using my email address. And I think it's just naively using my email address. And so I I have two Twitter accounts, but one of them is, I'll tell you another whole story about that. Um, and of course, GitHub, you can reach me through GitHub and the email address I have associated with that, which is a, a Gmail account. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I said, I'm not extremely active, so I'm not like some of the, what I would call celebrities that you've interviewed in the past. But anybody that's interested, send me a message, most certainly. I'm a friendly guy. Yeah. <laughs> Just trying to keep to myself. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, 
and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. Do you have some things you want to shout yes. out about? I do have some picks. First and foremost, I want to shout out about Evernote. I have been a user of Evernote since their very beginning. And and honestly, this is one of the few applications that when I first signed up, actually in my history with them, I've never ever exceeded their minimum limit to require me to be a subscriber. Uh But when I first started using it, I loved it so much. I said, here, take my money. And so I've been a paid member my whole time with Evernote. But Evernote allows me to keep my life organized. And of course, you can do it across multiple devices. But most importantly, and I, I won't get onto a long commercial, but most importantly, uh, I'm an only child and my mother has been widowed for many, many years and she's now in hospice. And so I'm, I have the responsibility of managing all of her affairs. I get all these mm-hmm. stuff in the mail from Social Security Administration and you know Medicaid and Medicare and all that. Yep. So I found it so incredibly valuable that I can scan that stuff. And I also scan most of the documentation I get for myself. But using this one application, Evernote, I can keep the two lives, so to speak, separated, but still have access to absolutely anything I need. There's great keyword searching. It also searches text within PDFs. So I've just got my whole life organized in Evernote. So I'm a huge fan and I wanted to wanted to shout out for that. Uh, the other two picks that I have on my list are both um, shameless self-promotion. Uh, but the first is a service called Uppercase Box. So if you're interested in uh, the realm of literature called young adult, the, the young adult fiction, uh-huh. authors like John Green or J.K. Rowling or Veronica Roth, uh, this is my daughter-in-law, uh, Lisa, Lisa Parkin, who runs Uppercase Box. And it's a subscription service uh, where you get a book that she has selected every month. And she's gone out of her way. She gets them signed by the author. So you get a, a an autographed book plus um, other little goodies related to the book, related to the author, related to the story that she has made up. So it's it's all customized stuff. It's not just I buy in bulk from China a set of earrings that I give to everybody. Right. You know, it's, it's specialized stuff. And then they also have what they call the reading experience where – at certain points in the book, there's page numbers marked on this uh, bookmark you get that you go you use a code to go to the web to a Rails site uh, <laughs> and you get extra content related to the book or an interview with the author, you know, a YouTube interview with the author or lots of really cool stuff. They've done a, both my son and his wife have done a magnificent job of building this really cool little um, interactive community around the idea of the young adult fiction book. So shout out. Kind of kind of self-serving, but uppercase box. If you're interested in that stuff, highly recommend it. And then lastly is another little thing I had done, which I had done for a Rails Rumble. Remember they used to do the Rails Rumble? They, yep. they renamed it recently, I think. But it has lived on, and it's a lot of fun. It's called Business Spew. Um, there's a whole long story I won't tell now about a, a dear friend who was also a technologist and a developer who died at a young age from uh, leukemia. 
But he and I together kind of came up with this idea originally back in the days of, of DOS command line. But now the site is Business Spew where you can create um, you create your own documents, uh, but full of nothing but nonsense business jargon. So <laughs> you can give it a title. You tell it how many paragraphs you want and um, how many sentences per paragraph, and it'll create document for you of uh, of all kinds of of silly stuff. So I probably should have had the site up to give you an example, um, but I I did give you Chuck. I gave you the link so that uh, anybody yep. interested can. Check it out. It's on a domain I have called LeveragedSynergies.com, which is a uh, a tribute to my friend Wilson Rogers, who who helped me build it. But that is the uh, that's the three things I had lined up as picks, awesome. and I'm stalling right now just a moment so I can bring up here's here's just a short uh, one sentence from Business Spew. Uh, new rule: effective immediately, you shall regulate your proprietary technical playgrounds. <laughs> so you can have a lot of fun with this if you that's would. awesome yeah we uh a, a friend of mine quite a number of years ago wanted to put together a code review website and so you would submit your github repo to it and of course the answer because whenever one developer reviews another developer's uh, code it sucks and so right. <laughs> it, it would come back and say, your code sucks. And then it would spew a bunch of technical jargon about why it sucks. That's funny. And That's yeah, funny. it would just make it all up. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, nowadays, don't even have to make it up. You, you remind me in my day job, one of the things I do is I run uh, reports, uh, uh, static code scans. And we use, the pro we use a product, HP Fortify, which uh -huh. is a huge, terribly expensive piece of software, but it does an amazing job because it watches the compile process and it, you know, but anyway, basically that's what it is to report full of, here's why your code sucks. There's not a single <laughs> piece of software I've ever been able to run through that thing and it didn't find something that it doesn't like. So yeah, that's funny. I like that idea though. Just uh, no matter what you put in it, it finds yeah. uh, polite ways or, or different ways of telling you, you, you did a poor job. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's yeah. some people that need that and some of us that take it personally. No, it, it, it would have been totally a gag. <laughs> sure. No, I, I realize yeah. that. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. It's a funny idea. Yep. See, developers are, are creative people, but sometimes our, our perspective is just a little warped. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> we live in our own little world. <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. Um, first of all, um, it, it, like you said, it's New Year's. And I mean, the holiday season, at least for me, you know, Christmas and New Year's is always just a great time to get together and spend time with family. And I think a lot of times we all get kind of tied up and, you know, pulled into work. And so I, I just want to encourage people, you know, take a little bit of time to spend some time with your family that you otherwise wouldn't have. Um, and if you don't have like kids or a wife, um, you know, friends, parents, um, you know, we all have somebody, hopefully. And if you don't, then, you know, go out of your way to find somebody that, that means something to you. And uh, anyway, so that's that's one thought and one pick. And then um, another pick that I'm going to pick, and, and this is just me and me being a little bit nostalgic. But on Friday, I went to my great aunt's funeral and I didn't know her that well. I didn't realize all of the things that she had done with her life. Um, but she was extremely interesting um, 
person. She was a professor of social work at Brigham Young University. And wow. um, her husband was a professor of sociology at Brigham Young University. And so uh, they, they went and did all these studies. Um, they did a study on, um, I guess, some folks in the South had some problems figuring out why black schizophrenics were different. And so they went down there and they basically figured out that they weren't accounting for the socioeconomic status, both in their treatments and the ways that it affected their diseases. And so they kind of revolutionized wow. things in sociology. Um, another one, and depending on your political leanings, you may or may not be excited about this, but she wrote a book when they were trying to pass the Equal Rights Amendment. And mm. this book turned out to be somewhat instrumental in defeating the Equal Rights Amendment, which... wow. You know, like it or hate it, it's still interesting. So, um, you know, anyway, uh, just just interesting, interesting life. And again, you know, I going back to my previous thought, you know, I also want to encourage you to go talk to the folks that are um, sort of of my grandparents' generation. Or, you know, if you're, you're Tom's age, Tom says he's 60 and my parents are a little older than that. You know, so so go talk to people of that generation. Um, or, you know, your parents' generation, just, just, you know, find out who they are, find out what they are about, find out what kinds of interesting things they've lived through. Um, and I think you'll find that a lot of times we discount what they've been through because it happened so long ago and that the world has changed. But what I find is that in a lot of cases, yeah, the world has changed, but not in the meaningful ways that their experience you know, it would negate their experience. And so by talking to them and finding out what they've been through and, and what they've seen and what, you know, what people have been through in their time, um, you know, it changes so much of your perspective on this stuff. And, uh, you know, as, as I go back through my uh, family history, you know, so this was my great aunt. She was my grandmother's sister. And uh, both of them with my uh, great grandmother and my great grandfather, they they left France as uh, Hitler was building the Nazi machinery that eventually took over France. And they wound up leaving France a year or two before he invaded France. And they, they saw it coming. And uh, they, you know, my great grandfather was actually a sympathizer uh, with the Nazis. And my great grandmother thought that that was extremely dangerous. And so she convinced him to immigrate with them to Argentina. And oh, wow. he was also extremely abusive and uh, they wound up, actually running away from him and there's this whole harrowing tale of them escaping right um my my great aunt turned out she was the first more female mormon missionary or sister missionary is what we call them in uruguay um wow i mean just all of these amazing incredible things that they went through in their lives you know as they tried to make their way to the united states and um you know, the way that they the way that they had to come to the United States in order to, you know, to be here. And uh, anyway, it's this big, long story that I don't have time to tell. But it's it's just fascinating, you know. Um, it's but without you going back to ask about that, that whole story would have been lost because that yeah. generation didn't have the advent of the Internet and digital photography. And so that's fantastic that you're able to capture that information. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, is that it's, you know, they're gone now. My grandparents are gone. Um, you know, my great aunt and great uncle, um, I went to my great uncle's funeral last year and so they're gone. And so, you know, those, those stories are only around because my mom told me about them. Yeah. 
And anyway, it's just, you know, um, you know, my great aunt wrote a lot of this down, but still it's, yeah, you know, you, you look at it and it's like, you know what, some of these things, some of these prejudices, some of these social issues are things that we deal with today. And, you know, wh- whether, you know, whether you're going to blame one politician or another, or whether you're going to worry about, you know, who's causing it, you know, just being aware and just seeing, you know what, let, let's not do that again. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you know what, um, you know, my, my grandparents broke the cycle of, of abuse, you know, and just, yeah, it's, it's incredible when you capture all this stuff and just really realize the incredible things that these people have done. And hopefully we're doing that for the next generation. So hopefully in some ways, maybe we're overwhelming them with information because we're just collecting so much. Yep. (laughs) Look at how many pictures are on your phone and how many of them are really just nonsense, (laughs) right? (laughs) Well, that's because my kids get on my phone. (laughs) Yeah, that's true too. But I appreciate what you said because being a member of one of those generations that I am unusual in the sense that I've embraced technology because I know there are a lot of, you know, a lot of my peers that are puzzled and frightened even by technology. They've learned how to use a smartphone now as a tool, but it's still a bizarre thing and they stumble with it so often when it doesn't do exactly what they expect. So you're absolutely right. It's a different perspective and respect the different perspective, but understand that that yeah, there's we have a lot to share with each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, even even my parents' generation, my dad had a draft number for the Vietnam War, but he was you know it was winding down at that point, so he didn't wind up going. But all of his brothers went, and they yeah. they all have really different perspectives on a lot of things because of that. And mm-hmm. you know, don't don't miss it, folks. Don't miss it. Right. Right. Anyway, I've got to jump uh, jump off and get ready for another interview. But um, thank Thanks you, Tom. So much, it's always fun to talk to you, and I hope we get a chance to talk sometime directly about uh, about board games. Oh, oh man! <laughs> uh, I yeah, I, I freaking love board games. I guess I'll throw that out as another pick. Um, so there's for a, sure there's a group of guys that I get together with every month, and uh, you know our wives get together too. It's not like it's just us. <laughs> But we get together and play board games all the time. And, you know, a, a lot of times you just kind of need that social aspect. So if you can find a bunch of people that are interested, just set up a group text, figure out when everybody can get together, and then just get together. I mean, that that kind of social interaction, as much as I love writing open source, is important to me too. So, Yeah, and there's a huge variety in board games too. So yeah. whatever your skill level, whatever your whatever theme you're interested in, there's there's so much to choose. I'll just throw out, honestly, my wife and I, you know, it's just us in the house now. We don't have the kids anymore because they're grown uh-huh. adults. But we don't own a television. We spend our time playing board games. That's what we do together is we play board games every single day. So I, I highly endorse that too. Yep. Good point. Yep. All right. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. But thanks again, Tom, for coming and chatting with us. Thanks, Chuck. It's always fun to talk to you. Have a great, uh, have a great 2018. Yeah, you too. You and your whole family. All right, folks. We'll catch you next week. Thanks again, Tom. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.